everyone, you're listening to We Finally Watch, The Legend of Korra, Book 2, Chapter 4, a podcast where two friends force each other to watch the shows we keep meaning to watch and then talk about them. I'm your first friend, Abra. And I'm the second friend, Anthony. And let's just get right into the episode. Yeah, so this is a part two to the Civil Wars, yes. and how are we feeling about it? I mean, I feel like I liked it more than the first part of Civil Wars, mm-hmm. just because I this... You know, we got to see more of, like, the whole gang together and, like, figuring things out as opposed to just Korra kind of on her own doing her own thing. Mm -hmm. So I like that. But that was more in the second half of the episode. In the first half of the episode, we we got that trial that Unalak kind of made up. You know, the judge was the most fair and honorable Mm -hmm. man I know. It's like, okay, buddy. It's better than that one guy in The Last Airbender who was like, yes, I'm the judge. And all of you but um not much better yeah, yeah it's definitely a kangaroo court one thing i do i did put down though is like okay independent of we know just from his actions and also the way he looks and sounds and everything about him that he's a bad guy mm-hmm. in a normal circumstance right if the arrest of Cora's father would be a legitimate arrest like if you housed a radical revolutionary meeting even if you didn't partake necessarily in the abduction slash attempted assassination of the political figure you would probably still at least attend trial yeah right like that that checks out but that said on that same logic like with the consistency cora's mom should have also right gotten the same punishment Correct. No, but ever she's a woman. Ah, uh, yes, of course. Right. Mm-hmm. And therefore incapable of radical thought. That does track with the Northern Water Tribe's history of sexism and the Southern Water Tribe. So, you know, it, it checks out. True. Yeah. No, it, it, she can't do it because she's motherly. Yes, exactly. Which, of course, is one of the four ways women are allowed to be. Mm-hmm. And the only one where you can't be radical. Exactly. But also the baby sky bison. The oh. baby sky bison. Oh, oh, they're man. so cute. Oh my gosh. It's just like, it's perfect merchandise fodder. And in the best, like not, not being cynical at all, like I love it. I will buy as many baby sky bison as I can afford. Oh, they, they, look, they just, they look so soft. It's like, man, I just, I just want to like bury my face in that. I know, and they look like they they are so stupid too. Like in in the same way that like dogs are stupid. Yeah, they're they're doofy. Yeah, it's great. I I love them. I love their personality. I also love that at the tea party, Iki is making herself like she's imitating her father because she believes that's how like the head of the household should be at the table because that's what her father is, right? Where she's like demanding that they pay attention and demanding that they you know sit at the table and drink the tea correctly. (laughs) It's kind of cute. I didn't I didn't even think of that. But yeah, you're you're totally right. It's great. I I enjoyed that little like B plot with mm-hmm. the whole. Again, I I definitely think that the B plot was stronger than the A plot, mm-hmm. and I I feel like it also ties into the the idea of the civil war in this case being within the family and like the rifts between the siblings. Right. I like that that sort of tie in, and I guess it also kind of works with mirroring Tonrock and Unalak, except Unalak is like evil and. None of the other people are, yeah. but 
you know, got some nice parallels. It is, it is. I also like that, and I agree, first of all, that B-plot here is the star. I even wrote down, like, in theory, this whole, like, tension and civil war between the North and the South could be a really cool setup for a season. Mm-hmm. In theory, this works super well. In practice, I can't tell us, <laughs> at least in the beginning half of this episode. Yeah, right. It Yeah, it kind of just feels very, like, detached almost from the the main characters which is weird because like Korra is right in the thick of it but none Mm -hmm. of the other characters are and I feel like that's kind of what makes it less impactful yeah and I'm I'm not even really sure like what as a writer I would do to make this any different because my initial thought is like well maybe spending more time building up the tension or like you know having the south kind of all or establishing earlier that the south already isn't super happy about the north coming and not just like ton rock being upset that his brother's visiting right like yeah making it clear that like this tension was pre-existing of this whole fair thing because it does seem a little rushed that it's like well you know rushed because military invasion which i get but like one second it's like oh yeah we're having a fair and here our brothers from the north are coming to visit and then the next second it's well we're kidnapping the chief yeah yeah exactly i think there is like a pacing issue but again it's something Mm -hmm. where it's like how do you do good pacing because honestly like if you figure it out (laughs) please tell me um i was just thinking because earlier today i was catching up on some episodes of my hero academia and i'm just thinking Mm -hmm. that that show has like the exact opposite problem because i i enjoy watching it but holy crap do they spend so much time doing flashbacks and being like uh yes over explaining this thing and this fight that should take one episode takes like three episodes and it's just like uh, it's so sluggish yeah they are just constantly reminding you of the things that you were already reminded of every single episode like how he got his powers and how this relationship is and who this the person he's fighting is or whatever (laughs) yeah exactly and it's like that makes sense in a world where like you have to watch My Hero Academia on television at a specific time, Mm -hmm. but like in the bingeable now where we can watch the entire series in like a day. Yeah. It's like, it it feels redundant because we just watched that. Maybe in the future, someone like once they finish the series, someone will like make an edit where they just cut out all of the stuff and just call it like the binge edition where you can just watch the there whole show in, like, I, I don't know how long it would take for each season, but you could just, like, binge it and not have to deal with any of the flashbacks and the constant reminders and all that. Exactly, because the reminders, like, make sense, like, in the early 2000s or late 90s in a serialized show, because the people watching may not have seen all of the previous episodes, so it makes sense that you would need to, like, explain every episode why this conflict is important this episode, but mm-hmm. it And just... also you have to watch it watch it every week yeah as well as opposed to just binging it but yeah yeah anyways anyway, off topic cora cora eska yeah she's uh okay i'm gonna say a thing and you can choose whether or not to cut it out but uh she's into some kinky shit she is into some kinky shit Yes, she's, uh, until the reveal at the end of the episode of her, like, chasing down Bolin with the, the, uh, Mm -hmm. mascara running down her eyes, my thought was, she's doing this on purpose. 
Like, like she knows that Bolin yeah. doesn't want to be in the relationship, but she likes that she has this power over him. But then mm-hmm. the end of the episode kind of contradicts that. So, uh, you know, I don't know. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I definitely, I don't know. She, She's definitely, you know, the, the Yandere archetype, which is interesting because you don't see that a lot in Western shows. And I'm not sure entirely how I feel about that archetype as a whole. It's interesting. Uh, her and Bolin's relationship is, is pretty funny. Like, I like Bolin's reaction. <laughs> Action. I like, like, I just like him. He's a complete doofus this episode, and like, it kind of has been this whole season. Uh, last episode, he mm-hmm. seemed like significantly more competent, but I, I'm okay with this yeah. with a like more goofier Bolin. Um, especially like in court, that he's constantly like objection, and the judge is just like shut up, and he's like, damn, <laughs> he's, he's doing his best. Yeah, he's try. He really is trying, trying to bribe the right people. He just like <laughs> just the absolute wrong people they're like hey free money yeah he's like, okay why did he think those people like it's it just he's a doofus this season but i'm fine with it um yeah i i think varick is also a really hilarious uh addition like more cave johnson vibes i love that uh mm-hmm. he's hiding in ping ping and i love that yeah. The like otter bear's name is Ping Ping. It's a platypus bear. Platypus bear. My, my oh, I'm a fake fan. Yes. <laughs> One thing I thought was funny is uh, when the judge says that Cora's dad is gonna, you know, have the death penalty. The face that she makes in that, like her reaction face. I know it's like a serious moment, but in my mind, it's just like this is like a surprise Pikachu face. Like uh-huh. it just. I don't know. I thought that was funny. It is. I don't have a lot of notes on this episode. Yeah, that's fair. I feel like this, you know, I know I just said they should have spent more time building up the tension, but I feel like this, Mm -hmm. like, did not need to be a two-parter. I feel like it would have made more sense to have, like, one episode of just the Civil War stuff and then one episode of just the B-plot stuff, where you just, like condense them so that you know it's all together because there wasn't enough here to split it into two parts yeah i i kind of agree with that Mm -hmm. um i like how when cora is threatening the judge guy like she's like you know i don't want you to do anything but naga (laughs) wants you to let my dad out of prison and it's just like man i wish that you know, I get that it was more of an intimidation tactic because Naga is a giant polar bear dog. Right. But also, I kind of wish that you could just use that as, like, an excuse. Like, roll up to the courthouse and, like, hey, you can't arrest that man. My cat wants him to be free. Yeah. <laughs> just using that as a bargaining Yeah, check. no, no, no. My cat really relies on him. She, uh, He's her emotional yeah. support human. Mm-hmm. Exactly. I do think, like, Naga was terrifying when she, like, rips open the door with her teeth, and I'm oh, just like, geez, dude, yeah. ugh. I mean, polar bears are just absolutely terrifying animals just in general. Like, just the scale of that thing is like, what the fuck? Yeah. What did you think of um, Boomy's conversation with Aang's statue? I thought that was, like, a really sweet moment. Yeah. I, I really liked it. You know, it was a very, like small scene it was very short but i think it it was really nice for sure and i think like like we said the b plot here is like what makes this episode 
more watchable and his like I think it's that final note that Aang's daughter Kaya 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 says to Tenzin where she's like hey sorry that we took out our grief with that on you this is just and like of course mm-hmm. they're they are adults so of course they're talking like adults but like the way that this was handled is a very adult way of like dealing with your childhood trauma which is like you know sometimes it lashes out but then ultimately you're like hey you know I should be taking this out on you it wasn't your yeah. fault that dad liked you more or that dad you know focused mm-hmm. on you more that's i thought that was really uh really right. heartfelt really sweet yeah i i liked that whole bit i i like ang's kids they're mm-hmm. they're good they're good good folks yeah more bending innovation i know that we love seeing bending used in new creative ways they literally invented the mm-hmm. jet engine in this episode i just <laughs> I love that they just yeah Ugh. I, I was half expecting that like when they're like oh we don't have a runway i was half expecting them to like ice bend yeah. uh, make a make a runway out of ice and i was like ready to be like um actually the plane's wheels wouldn't have any traction on the ice <laughs> and i was very pleasantly surprised that they didn't go that route yeah i love how you were already um actually in the show before it even had a chance to give you the the solution that's so actually <laughs> I, there's another instance of that in this episode where when they were showing the judge driving in his car and i was like okay like roads in cold places are notoriously bad for potholes you know this living in edmonton absolutely that like because of like freeze-thaw cycles so i was like you know there's no way an old car like that would be able to withstand driving on a like a crappy dirt road in the middle of the the antarctic but then i was like wait actually then i well actually myself and i was like "Mm, well actually if they're in the antarctic there probably isn't any thawing happening for there to be a freeze-thaw cycle yeah so it'd actually be pretty stable it's like it's like ice road truckers it's just ice roads. Yeah. Well, in this case, also because it's like a dirt road, mm-hmm. that dirt would all be frozen in place. Huh. And as long as there wasn't too much ice to, like, reduce friction on the road surface, I think it'd actually be fairly stable. I, I forget what we call this section where we talk about, it, like, niche infrastructure, <laughs> infrastructure. In, the, uh, in this world. But also, uh, it, here on the infrastructure corner, I also mm-hmm. thought about where is this road going to? And, like, that is when Cora like, visits... I'm forgetting all the names now. When Cora visits Republic City for the mm-hmm. first time, she's, like, amazed by cars, isn't she? Like, she's never really seen a Satomobile before she doesn't really drive and then but like the south actually has pretty extended like vehicle infrastructure already so my first thought was like where is this road going and why are there such long windy roads here even like what like what is the purpose mm-hmm. of this road and who put it there and how quickly was it put up? And then I remembered that, of course, this is a fantasy world where people can manipulate Earth with their mind. So, like, even if automobiles were introduced to the South Pole within the last year, there would still be enough time for, like, a couple earthbending construction workers to just, like, build these roads from nothing. Right, yeah. Also, like, Cora was, wasn't Cora kind of, um, like, stuck in that whole uh white lotus complex oh i guess yeah so like she probably didn't have a lot of interaction with you know the south pole at large outside of that little area Mm -hmm. yeah that's a good point so anyway that's been Mm -hmm. infrastructure corner with anthony and abra tune in next week where we talk about more plumbing concerns and questions such as how does the south pole have plumbing if they're frozen all the time (laughs) i mean if you put i I imagine if you put the pipes deep enough And there's enough geothermal. There you go. Uh, maybe. I don't know. Save, I'm just save it for next episode. 
That's that, that's it. Exactly. Yeah. Like it freezes instantly, so they just use ice bending and just throw it away. Maybe they have, I a, don't know. They have a big poop pile like half a mile <laughs> away around a mountain. Oh god. You better hope that they don't get a uh, global warming. Yeah. Oh my god. Oh, my last note was just Chief Tonrock, total dilf. One hundred percent a dilf. I. <laughs> oh, you can't boy. convince me otherwise. Dilf patrol. Yeah. One hundred percent. So what if, I don't know what it is about the water tribes, but like that's where all the hot people come it's, from. It's you're not wrong. Yep. Yeah, and then I did want to say that like okay, so the whole episode Unalak is trying to convince he's manipulating her by saying because you're the avatar, you know, it's your job to not pick a side, right? Because right. you like and basically he's coming from the centrist idea, right? Of like yes. my my vision is skewed, their vision is as skewed, so therefore being in the middle puts you in the correct place. And Cora. Uh, mm-hmm. f- successfully at the end kind of fights through this and realizes that oh wait halfway between good and evil is just not good so like you right. know it, it is it is worth picking a side right and, yeah absolutely yeah. like you know it's not like ang could be like oh actually i'm not with the earth kingdom or the fire nation i'm i'm a neutral centrist and i'm not going to get involved in this and then the fire nation just comes by and bulldozes the entire earth kingdom right. Like, that's and and that's exactly the thing is that yeah. like this is like the the idea of centrism for the avatar doesn't just not work in this scenario but like it is the actual antithesis of every avatar we know about even mm-hmm. like roku was very heavily involved he basically single-handedly kept the fire nation off for his entire lifetime he wasn't like well you know mm-hmm. do what you want like it's not my job to tell you what to do yeah. he did like and he also didn't take the fire nation side in that fight but he like was like hey mm-hmm. kyoshi 100 picked a side in that fight uh she is like yeah yeah uh like a, she straight up killed the guy or didn't kill him whatever who knows well you you could say that roku kind of enabled the fire nation that like he didn't do enough yeah to, okay to stop them to stop sozin and and that's kind of why the war happened in the first place is because i mean it also had to do with roku and sozin being friends that mm-hmm. like he wasn't willing to stop him. I, that's a better way to look at it, is that he was the centrist, <laughs> and look at how that ended. Right. So nobody's 100% right in these sort of conversations, but yeah, Korra's 100% in the right to, to pick a side. Especially when, like, yeah. th- when the sides are religious uh, autocracy and, I don't know, some kind of democracy, it seems like. It seems like the South would like a vote, I would assume. Yeah, they, they seem, you know, they're, they're having these meetings where, like, everyone gets kind of a say. Mm-hmm. So it seems to be at least relatively democratic. Yeah, and at at this point, she found out from the judge guy that, like, Unalak is straight up corrupt. Mm-hmm with the whole judge thing so like yeah definitely oh yeah yeah so even in his own system he's not playing fair even if he makes it look mm-hmm. like it right even he's not being a centrist right also okay i understand like there isn't an avatar she's having trouble connecting to her past self so like that would usually be the person to guide her on like what the avatar should or shouldn't do but like why would she take mm-hmm. this guy's advice on what the avatar should do didn't wasn't the whole thing yeah. that like she didn't want to take <laughs> tenzin's advice because she was like you're like how the f- would you know i don't right. know it just seems like if cora being the hard-headed person she is people telling her how to be the avatar like you're not the avatar no. i am 
Well, Avra, thanks for potting with me. And listeners, thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed the podcast, be sure to share with your friends and family who you know like Avatar. Be sure to follow us and rate us highly on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or any other app you might use. And if you want to keep up with us in general, you can follow us on Twitter at WFWCast. And friendly reminder to follow the link in the description of the episode to send in a voice message if you have anything you want us to hear or any questions about upcoming episodes. And finally, guys, remember to check up on your friends. I promise they don't hate you as much as you think they do. Until next time guys.